Into this home, we bring our hunger for awakening. We bring compassionate hearts and a will toward justice. Into this home, we bring the courage to walk on after hard losses. Into this home, we bring our joy and our gratitude for ordinary blessings. By our gathering, we bless this space. In its shelter, we know ourselves blessed. Come, let us worship together. The words of Kathleen McTeague. I'm Angela Herrera, the senior minister here at First Unitarian. Good morning. I am joined this morning by the Reverend Bob Lavalley, our associate minister, by intern minister and backup DJ, Matt Pargeter Villarreal. Susan Peck is our music director and our special musical guest today is the great Kathy McGill from right here in Albuquerque, along with pianist Robert Muller. Our ushers are Michaela, Alex, and Erica, and our DJ is Tech Arts Director Chris Paul. We are all so glad to be with you on this crisp fall morning, and we especially welcome any new visitors. If you are visiting for the first or second time and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and location in the chat box so that we can extend a personal greeting to you. Good morning. It's great to be with you again. We're glad you're worshiping with us today. As Unitarian Universalists, we welcome all those who are open to learning from one another about the deep meaning and mystery of our lives. We are about to light our church chalice. Feel free to have your own chalice or candle at home ready. We light our church chalice in a moment. As the sun sets earlier and earlier and the nights and mornings grow cold, this flame reminds us that we travel together through the seasons of our lives. The warmth of this community carries us. Together, we say yes to life. Hey, it's been a long time since I've seen you guys. And I guess I'm really not seeing you for sure, like, cause you're on Zoom, but you know, anyway, hi, I'm Kathy McGill and joining me today on piano, Robert Muller, all the way from Fantasse, Santa Fe. And uh, we're happy to be here and we brought a little John Lennon with us. Thank you. 
Join me in the children's affirmation. We are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Let's pause the chat for a few moments during our meditation and our prayer. When we train the mind, we're learning to listen, not only to our own thoughts and feelings, but also to those around us, so that they too can feel heard and understood. When we sit to meditate, we're not listening with the mind to find a solution. We're simply getting comfortable with witnessing the mind as it is. Seeing thoughts and feelings arise as they do. In the same way, when we're listening to another person, hopefully we're not getting too distracted. Hopefully we're not pushing our opinions onto that person. But instead we're learning to step back and allow that person the space they need to feel heard and understood. When we train both of these things in parallel, internally and externally, then we start to get comfortable with this idea of simply listening, free from expectation. So take a moment to get comfortable. Your eyes can be closed or gently open. Taking a big, deep breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Feel the weight of the body press down noticing the different points of contact. In this spirit of listening without expectation, we'll sit together in sacred silence for two minutes.
Each day we add page to the story of our lives. At times those pages tell of gladness. At other times those pages tell of sorrow. Our stories are woven together as we support others in their moments of joy or sadness, and they support us in ours. These interwoven moments become part of the story of our community here together. Please share your joys and concerns in the chat bar now, as prompted by the video. If you cannot share in the chat bar today for any reason, we still want to hear from you. Contact us, caring at uuabq.org.
Today we also lift up Harlan LaRue Van Camp, who is recovering from a fall. We also pray for Bill and Alice Willis, who are coping with health challenges. All these we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. Let's pray together. We pray for an investment in the people of America and a divestment from our military industrial complex. Knowing that every dollar spent on defense is a theft from the well-being of this country, may this country beat swords into plowshares. On this week of Veterans Day, we lift up all those who served and all those whose lives were impacted by that service. May all veterans make peace with their experiences and use those experiences to help create a more just and caring world. We pray for all those participating in criminal trials. May justice be done. celebrate the workers who are insisting that their work be valued and that they be treated with respect and dignity. We lift up the nurses who went on strike to insist that the wards they serve be adequately staffed so that they may give care that is needed to every, for, as needed to every patient. May all workers know the power of solidarity and may all employers create workplaces that allow workers to live and thrive and do good work. As we enter the 20th month of this pandemic, we are weary. We are tired of the constant change and we lament the loss of old ways of connecting and savoring life. We pray for the strength and endurance to keep going. We pray that we, we may find new ways for joy, new ways for love, new ways for making community. We pray for this beloved congregation. We pray for our faults, our flaws, for the places where we are not equal to the challenges that we are facing. May we still be a place of consolation. May we still create community. May we all be generous and cutting each other some slack. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you.
reading this morning is from James Baldwin. It's number 186 in Lifting Our Voices. Nothing is fixed, forever 
forever, forever. It is not fixed. The earth is always shifting. The light is always changing. The sea does not cease to grind down the rock. Generations do not cease to be born. We are responsible to them because we are their only witnesses. The sea rises, the light fails, lovers cling to each other, and children cling to us. The moment we cease to hold each other, the moment we break faith with one another, the sea engulfs us and the light goes out. Nothing is fixed forever, forever, forever. It is not fixed. The earth is always shifting. The light is always changing. I selected today's reading from that anthology for Unitarian Universalist worship, the book Lifting Our Voices, an anthology I helped to create back in 2015. It's by James Baldwin, a gay, black, prophetic writer who wrote these lines in the 1960s as the closing paragraph to his essay called Nothing Personal. It's an essay that connects very deeply with this month's theological theme of holding history. In it, Baldwin names the staggering disconnect between American myths about the past, like the myth of friendship between Native Americans and colonizers that surrounds the Thanksgiving holiday, and the reality those myths obscure, the brutality upon which this country was founded, and the way that because of the, the myths, because the myths of American history and myths of American values prevent us from fully grasping the past, the violence is still with us, a staggering disconnect. Since as a nation, we won't let ourselves fully acknowledge the violence in our history, we don't know how to see and understand it clearly now. It has always seemed much easier to murder than to change, Baldwin writes. It has always seemed much easier to murder than to change. Reflecting on Baldwin's words, Princeton professor of African-American studies, Imani Perry says, as long as Americans and in particular white Americans hold fast to the myth and remain stuck in the idolatries of the past, they deprive themselves of a usable past, one from which to learn. When you're stuck in myths or untruths from the past, you can't learn from it. It's not usable. Next week, Bob is going to preach a sermon on, on uh, settler colonialism that will hold that history under the bright light. Today, I want to draw out another theme in Baldwin's essay, and that is the theme of personal history, hope, and change. In Nothing Personal, Baldwin flows, as he often did, between the personal and the social, between history, identity, death, loneliness, and love. He speaks of the, quote, irreducible gap, the self between the self one invents, the self one takes oneself as being, which is a provisional self, and the undiscoverable self, which always has the power to blow the provisional self to bits. I'm gonna repeat that. Baldwin speaks of the irreducible gap between the self one invents, the self that one takes oneself as being, which is a provisional self, 
and the undiscoverable self, which always has the power to blow the provisional self to bits. Provisional means for now, something that is provisional by definition may change in the future. So he's saying that there's a gap between how we think of ourselves for now and a different self within, one we don't see all of. And the self we don't see has the power to blow the provisional self to bits. You with me? He continues. It is perfectly possible, indeed it is far from uncommon, to go to bed one night or wake up one morning or simply walk through a door one has known all of one's life and discover between inhaling and exhaling that the self one has sewn together with such effort is all dirty rags, is unusable, is gone. And out of what raw material will one build a self again? The provisional self suddenly expires. It's past the use by date. Anybody here ever had a turning point in your life where the way you've been, who you were, just didn't work anymore? But it's perfectly possible to toss out what is provisional, that raw material that we need to build a self again, or even just to make a slight change is within us always. That raw material lies in the ability more and more to show up to our lives, including our pasts, authentically, unflinchingly even, open to learning from the past and open to a future we might not have expected. I see a connection between this and Matt's thoughtful sermon for National Coming Out Day last month. Baldwin, recall, was an openly gay man in an era when being gay was still illegal in the United States. In his sermon, Matt described National Coming Out Day not just as a day when people may, who can choose to come out may do so, or when we celebrate the power of queer visibility, but also a day to reflect on what choosing to come out is like. National Coming Out Day is a day that always gives me pause for reflection, though I've not ever personally addressed it in a sermon. And this is, I now realize, a somewhat conspicuous omission, which I'll explain. Matt talked about the complexity of the decision to come out he lifted up some of the reasons a person might not do so or might do so in some contexts, but not others. The impact on relationships, the sense of risk, when and how and to whom one comes out is something each person must discern for themselves. There's not a right timeline. He said, coming out is not something that we decide to wake up one day and just do. And he said, coming out is an intensely personal and contextual act. And with that framing, and without knowing that I had been grappling with this very issue myself, Matt opened a door for me to come out. With that, and without knowing I had been grappling with this issue myself, Matt opened a door for me to come out. He opened a door for me to reflect on my own past, my provisional self, and what history I want to make for my tomorrow 
by the way that I show up today. When I got married in 1996, at the age of 19, I did not personally know any queer people. I had been raised UU, Unitarian Universalist, so I was aware queer people existed and that my religion celebrated and affirmed them, but my family lived far away from the church in a small conservative town. Because of that, and because we did not have much money and most folks at the church seemed to be at least middle class, my family was not very involved in the congregation, not involved enough to make close friends. When we drifted away, I was still too young to have paid much attention to sexual orientation. I knew I was different from my friends, but I chalked it up to being more open-minded. And anyway, I figured, wasn't everybody fascinated by butch lesbians? Romantic and sexual attention came from boys, and so that's who I dated. Meanwhile, there was an ever-present threat of violence. All of my close female friends had been sexually abused, assaulted, or beaten. I was accustomed to being threatened on the street and at school. I was on my own from the age of 17, and I longed, longed for safety and stability. So when I found myself unexpectedly pregnant the next year, and the kind, slightly older, more stable-seeming man I had just started dating offered to marry me, I said yes. It wasn't until much later, in my 20s, that I realized I was not straight. And another decade passed before I felt comfortable saying so plainly to even my closest confidants. I had built such a straight, traditional life, one in which I was able to chase other dreams and launch myself far away from that pain behind me. I treasured my marriage and the family we had created. I had no plans to dismantle it. When I thought of coming out, I wondered what right did I even have? And what did it even matter? I told myself. I did not link that question with the deep loneliness I carried within. And then in late summer this year, that traditional life shifted and fell away. My marriage to Carlos ended. I'm on my own again for the first time in decades, dating even, and therefore, for the first time, visibly queer and ready at last to say it. I have thought often and never more than now of the words my mentor spoke when I was ordained that ministers must live out the same questions as everyone else, but we do it in public. Still, as I prepared these words, I drew courage from those of you who've come out before me, especially those who did so during the last decade as I've served as your minister, kids, teens, young adults, middle-aged adults, elders, as queer or as transgender, when you are ready and on your own terms, in my office, in the courtyard or the sanctuary, in the rest of your lives. Baldwin says, it is love that guides or drives us into knowing and accepting our own identity. I have witnessed the self-love that summoned your courage and I have felt so much love for you in that. 
The other day I was reflecting on these things with a trusted interfaith colleague here in town, Reverend Erica Lee Simka from Albuquerque Mennonite Church. Erica is also queer and out, and she shared a word from her tradition, Gelassenheit. It's a German word that includes the root lassen, meaning to leave. She says, Gelassenheit means to release or to let go, to be open. Spiritually, this can mean openness to the Holy Spirit. Another definition is yieldedness, yieldedness, yielding to the spirit of love, to self-love, to the direction spirit moves in our lives. I've said before that a slight change now can lead you to a radically different outcome. In the same way that if you are traveling and you turn just one degree to the right or to the left, you'll eventually end up on a different part of the planet or an entirely different planet if you turn on a vertical axis. Even a slight change now can lead you to a radically different outcome. That's one way we make new histories out of the present. And sometimes love asks us to make something larger than a slight change. And that's as true for our collective history as it is for our personal histories. When it feels overwhelming, here's Baldwin again. He says, since anyway, it will end one day. Why not try it? Life, one more time. He himself struggled to maintain hope at times, but he kept on reaching for love. And he wrote about this, about staying open to it. Galassenheit. There's a poem written long ago by the Spanish essayist Miguel de Unamuno, and I want to leave you with an excerpt from that today. Unamuno was an activist and a philosopher who was born in 1864. He was a passionate advocate for Spanish social liberalism. At the time of his death in 1936, he was under house arrest for speaking out against the dictator Francisco Franco. The poem is called Rojate como semilla, throw yourself like a seed. He could be speaking to an individual, discerning their deepest self, or to a collective, a nation healing its soul. He writes, No postergues por más tiempo tu tarea, y al huyar el camino de la vida, arrojate como semilla al surco, sin mirar al pasado, porque algún día Ese siempre dará sus propios frutos. Don't put off your work. Throw yourself like a seed as you walk and into your own field. Don't turn your face and do not let the past weigh down your motion. From your work, you will one day be able to gather yourself. I'll read the English one more time. Don't put off your work. Throw yourself like a seed as you walk and into your own field. Don't turn your face and do not let the past weigh down your motion. From your work, you will one day be able to gather yourself. May this be true for you, for me, for all of us. May we throw ourselves like seeds. May it be so.
Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and our Change for the Future recipient, Read to Me. If you would like to join our virtual coffee hour and get the chance to meet and have conversations with your fellow sibling congregants, and we encourage you to do so, please stay on after the postlude and ending credits, and you'll be placed into one of our wonderful breakout rooms. To get the conversation started, here is a discussion question for you to consider. What is the reality that you are wanting to tell through the story of your personal history? What is the reality that you are wanting to tell through the story of your personal history? Let us have a moment of connection now by navigating to gallery view as we are able. Look at all of the wonderful smiling faces back at you. Let us participate in our Pacham greeting. Place one hand on your heart, extend the other hand out and make eye contact and be in this moment of connection with everyone here gathered. 
And now let us extinguish our, extinguish our chalices and candles together. And as we do, I offer you these words of benediction. Go in peace, friends. Go in courage and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be.